Hello and welcome. It's Dr. Deborah Harcourt speaking here from Asia Pacific Early Childhood Consultants and I do hope that you are well. We here at APEC have decided that we might put together a series, a fortnightly series that is free for you to listen to of some of the things that have been niggling um, at the back of my brain, things that are really challenging me and I know that are challenging some of you and some of the issues that are arising in early childhood, both here in Australia and overseas. And I hope that we can take this opportunity to begin a dialogue about some of the things that um, I've seen in my travels, which I'm sure you're also familiar with, but also to seek some solutions to some of these issues that might be arising in your own practice or the practice of others. The first in this series, I'd like to focus on what I've called the rush hours, and I'd like to try and reclaim the 11 to 2 time slot in early childhood settings, reclaim it for children. Because at the moment, I think the primacy is focusing on adults during that time rather than really looking at the 11 to 2 time slot from a child's point of view. We know that at around about 11 o'clock, and I've seen earlier, but I'm going to say around about 11 o'clock, the busy work starts, the kind of monkey chatter, I call it, all those things that we need to get done quickly in order for the adults to uh, perhaps go off on their own lunch breaks or coffee breaks. And we see the 11 to 2 time slot as one of the busiest times of the day. And I'm a little bit worried that some of the skills, attitudes, development of young children is being pushed aside in this particular time of the day. If I draw your attention to one of the most important things that we need to help children understand is around self-regulation. And what I've often seen in early childhood settings across this time slot is children being asked to tidy up or pack up at around about 11 o'clock. Then children are herded in onto the mat where they might sing a song and read a storybook. Then children are herded to a lunch table with is often crowded with lunch boxes and water bottles or uh, if food is supplied a plastic plate where the food comes over the top of your head and lands on your plate and it might sound a little bit I guess a bit of a comedy when I say it like that but to tell you the truth I see this more often than not and I want us to begin to think about things right from that stage when you believe it is time for children to have their lunch. What are some of the things that we could do to slow it down? And the reason I began to focus on this because I was doing some research around eating disorders um, in young children and my folk particular focus was on adolescent girls. And as I did some research around this, I came to discover to my horror that the age of eating disorders, particularly anorexia and bulimia, but also um, obesity, has gone from around 16, 17, 18 years of age as an average age down to 12 and 13 and 14. And that's happened within about the last five years. 
But as I was doing that research and I was talking to um, people in the medical profession, they were telling me anecdotally that they are beginning now to diagnose children as young as seven and eight years of age with eating disorders. And as I processed that information, I began to think about my own experiences as a consultant in early childhood settings. And I reflected upon the experiences that are offered to young children in early childhood settings. And those children are from birth to around five years of age in the Australian context. And I began to think about the experience of those children around mealtimes and what happens. And I began to record and take photographs of the experiences that I was seeing. And I sat down in my office and had a look at them. And I said, there's something better that we need to do here. There is something more that we can do to help children form a healthy relationship with food. And I think one of the things that we can do in early childhood is we can come together and we can really examine this 11 to 2 time slot to ensure it becomes a much more calm and relaxed and social time for young children. So I'd like you to begin to think about the way in which you are approaching a mealtime with young children. Is it possible that we can support young children in becoming part of the everyday life of a mealtime? Our colleagues in Regimilia say that daily life is a project. And when children spend a lot of time in early childhood settings, daily life goes on, yet children are often far removed from daily life and become passive recipients of daily life rather than active participants. And I'm wondering if there is a possibility for us to begin to engage young children, even our very youngest children, how can we begin to engage them in things such as setting the table up beautifully, perhaps a tablecloth or table mats, perhaps some flowers or some herbs on the table. So the table itself is transformed and welcomes children to a mealtime. Unfortunately, what often happens in the rush hour is the Play-Doh is quickly taken off the table, the table is wiped down and children are asked to sit at that same table with their lunchbox and their water bottle. But what if we transform the table, with, even with our very youngest children, as I said, what if we transform that table with the tablecloth and the flowers? What if we invited children to select some food from their lunchbox that actually matches how their tummy is feeling. Think about the language and the possible learning that can happen during this time when we're asking children to consider how hungry is your tummy and how much food do you think you might need to put on your plate. Instead of sitting with a lunchbox, and some of the lunchboxes I've seen are very inviting, and I've also seen children eat every single thing that's in their lunchbox. But no one has engaged the child in a conversation about how much food they are eating and does it match how hungry they are. So what about if we had a place close to a fridge where even the youngest children could place 
some food from their lunchbox onto a plate and take their plate to the table, sit with their friends with perhaps some small glasses and a jug of water on the table where they can engage in a dialogue with others and it's calm and relaxed. And at the same time, we have adults who are sitting with the children. Perhaps the adults are having a piece of fruit if they don't feel like having their own lunch. They're supporting conversations with children around perhaps the morning events. And it's calm and it's slow. It's relaxed. And it invites this social occasion where we celebrate having a meal together rather than rushing around, cleaning mopping the floors, hurrying the children along because quickly we need to get the children onto their beds because I need to go for my lunch. So I'd really like us to consider how we could slow it right down, how we could invite children to be engaged in the whole process, how we could present food in a thoughtful and meaningful way rather than out of a lunchbox. If your service or centre offers food for children that is actually cooked on the premises or perhaps bought in from the premises. Think about how that food is served. Is it served on platters or is it served in a plastic container that is, and excuse me, but I've seen this, slopped onto a plate? How can we invite children to begin to select food from a platter, even again, as I've said, our very youngest children? where they're asking other children, would you like some more? Can I hand you the plate? Can I pass you something? When we learn the social mores of sitting and eating together and then children being involved in the tidying up. I've seen very young children, 12 months of age, attempting to use a little dustpan and broom to sweep the floor after they've had their meal. Because it seems to me, as a passive recipient of mealtimes, children actually have a whole heap of servants around them. They can make a mess and someone else will clean it up. Someone else will get my food for me. Someone will tell me when it's time to leave the table. But I'd actually like to learn to do those things myself. The other thing I'd like us to think about as we are discussing lunchtime, is what does food do for us? Why do we eat food? Consider that for a moment. One of the things that food does for us, which is probably one of the most important things, is it gives us energy. We eat food so that we can build more energy to get on with the rest of the day. But what happens in early childhood settings very often is that we ask children to go to sleep straight after lunch. And if you've had a lovely salad and some fruit for lunch, there will be a certain amount of energy that is contained within that food and it gives you a lift. It makes you feel better. It makes your brain work. It makes your body work. But the adults around me are asking me to go to sleep and I've just had a meal. Perhaps you can remember back when you were a child and you might have been at the pool or the beach and you had a picnic lunch 
And one of your parents might have said to you, you need to wait 30 minutes or you need to wait 60 minutes before you go for a swim. And that is because we need time to digest our food. So again, I'd ask you to consider, what could we do after lunch that provides children an opportunity to digest their food? Perhaps after lunch it might be time to go and read a story somewhere or have a story read to me. Or perhaps I could engage in some quiet play. Or perhaps I could go and sit in the garden for a little while. Or perhaps I could help to clean up. And perhaps I can help make the beds for an afternoon rest. Instead of coming in and the room is already set up for rest and I'm expected to go and wash my hands straight after lunch and lay down. And then have an adult who pats my back and tells me to keep still, be quiet, go to sleep. It's rest time. Shh, lay down. How many more times do I have to tell you? Put your head down. It's rest time. But what we've done 10 minutes before is we've invited children to give themselves energy. And then we get cranky with them because quickly it's time for me to go for my break and I need you to be resting. So these are some of the things that I've been considering around the 11 to 2 time slot that I think we could get a little bit better at. And having seen the enormous change in centres as they change this time slot, the enormous change in children, how quickly children fall asleep when they've had 10 or 20 minutes to digest their food, to do something that is quiet, to help make the beds, to have a quiet discussion with a friend or an adult. The behaviours are extraordinary, absolutely extraordinary in how children manage themselves. I can give you many examples where we've got very young children 12, 15 months of age, who are able to self-regulate their meal, off to a short play, and then on to bed. It's extraordinary. You may not believe me, but I've seen it for my own eyes. I'd like you to give it a go. So this notion of self-regulation is also helping children to understand, are you tired? Is your body tired? So a child might be reading a story, and I don't know about you, but I often like to read before I go off to sleep. It sends me off to sleep. And I've heard children, young children, two years old, three years old, say, I'm tired now. I'm ready to go to sleep. So it's really important for us to continue to consider what we understand about young children's learning and development and how we can help children self-regulate, but also how we can help them form good, positive and strong relationships with food, meal times, rest time, understanding how your body works. What does your body feel like when it's hungry? What does your feel, body feel like when it's had enough to eat? What does your body feel like when it's time to rest? And finally, I'd like us to consider our role during that time. 
Yes, I do understand that in most countries there are regulations around adults having a break, and I'm not saying we don't deserve a break. But what I'm saying is the enormous amount of activity during that time can be quite stressful for many children. And we know that stress raises the cortisone levels of young children. And we know that cortisone is incredibly important for our well-being. It helps our body heal. Yet we put children every day in a situation where it's rush. It's the rush hour or the rush hours between 11 and 2. That is the time when some children have a huge amount of adults who pass through during that time. I've seen one centre that has 25 toddlers and has 11 adults passing through at that time. It's no wonder the children become anxious. It's no wonder the children do not want to eat. It's no wonder the children do not want to go to sleep. They are anxious and they're becoming stressed and we are not noticing it. So I invite you to spend some time really examining the rush hours in your setting, talking to each other about what are the possibilities, what can we do to ensure that this is a positive, relaxed learning experience for young children. How can we support young children in developing positive relationships with food, positive relationships with relaxation and rest, positive relationships with actually doing things for yourself, cleaning up after yourself, making your own bed, selecting food off a platter, tidying up after yourself, cleaning. This is the daily life. This is daily life as a project. And I think we need to do more to both engage children in this, but also it's so incredibly important that children develop a lifelong love of what food means as both a source of energy, but also a source that is good for your soul. And enjoying that time of the day with friends and family. And let's face it, for many children who come five days a week, early childhood settings become their second family. Yet they are rushed through these times without any real thought about what this experience looks and feels like to a child. So I hope I've given you some food for thought there. I'd like us to continue this conversation. We have a Facebook page that I invite you to come along and pop some comments in. The podcast is open for you to share with others. And I'd like to hear about your thoughts, what you've decided to do in this time slot, how you've changed your practices. And I hope that I can continue to share some of the amazing work that is going on when people have really examined the rights of the child during this period of time and how if we build a really strong image of child, how differently we will do things. 
Thank you so much for listening and I really look forward to talking to you again in about two weeks' time for our second podcast. Bye for now.